In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. So today, uh, I think we'll take a break from the book that Abuna has been covering, and we're going to discuss um, one of the saints in our church who uh, probably doesn't get as much much uh, publicity, I think, as some of the other uh, saints. We often hear about uh, St. Athanasius and St. Cyril and all of the great fathers of the church who defended the faith um, against a lot of the heretics. But one person we don't hear as much about is uh, the person we're going to talk about today is St. Basil the Great. Uh, St. Basil the Great was another pillar of our church in the time of around the 4th century. Uh, so we want to spend a little bit of time talking about St. Basil. St. Basil is actually commemorated across all the apostolic churches. So the Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, our church. He is, you know, basically before all the, the schisms happened, St. Basil um, was one of the, the church fathers. If Does anyone know anything about St. Basil here? Any little tidbit? There's, there's a really easy one that maybe we should know. Huh? The liturgy, very good, okay. So that's right. So the most common liturgy that's prayed in our church is the liturgy of St. Basil. Um, there's three liturgies that we pray. It's the liturgy of St. Basil, there's a the liturgy of St. Gregory, um, who is actually one of St. Basil's best friends, and then there's the liturgy of St. Cyril. Um, but St. Basil is the one that we pray most commonly, and it's the one you would have heard today. Uh, so to discuss a little bit of Basil's background, who was... Who was St. Basil? So like I said, he was, he was a 4th century saint. He was born in 329 A.D., and he died actually in 379, uh, 360, uh, 379 A.D. Uh, so he was very young. Actually, he died when he was just four year, uh, 40 years old, or 50 years old. Sorry, my math is wrong. When he was just 59. He was about 49 when, when he died. Uh, and as I mentioned, this time that he was alive was a time after the Great Persecution. There was a huge persecution that hit the church, under the Emperor Diocletian. That was the last um, era of the, the, the persecution, the era we call the Era of the Martyrs. And after that had passed, um, about a generation before Basil, then came another persecution that hit the church. And that is the persecution that's often referred to like as a theological one. There was a theological turmoil, um, and we hear of the councils, the Council of Nicaea, the Council of Constantinople, the Council of Ephesus. So St. Basil, to give you some context, he lived... He was born five years after the, cons, uh, the Council of Nicaea, and the Council of Nicaea is famous for St. Athanasius, Saint, famous for the defender of against the Arian heresy. The Arian heresy, uh, for those who don't know, the Arian heresy is the one where a priest in Egypt called Arius, he um, basically said that Christ was created. He wasn't fully divine. So there was a Council of Nicaea in 325 that fought against this heresy and confirmed the true faith that Christ was fully divine. So about five years after that council finished, that's when St. Basil was born. And he would, his life would span that almost the fourth century. And he actually died a couple years before the next council, the Council of Constantinople. But still, St. Basil played a, a massive role in this time. And we'll talk a little bit about this time and what it was like. Um, because for us nowadays, we, can't, we, we talk about Christ. And we talk about how Christ is fully divine and fully human. And we talk about the Trinity like it's something we take for granted. During that time, it was... It was not like that at all. He was the Archbishop of Caesarea in 369, and he served there for almost 10 years. And he was also known as one of the Cappadocian Fathers. The Cappadocian Fathers, which maybe we don't hear about as much, is, is made of St. Basil and the two Gregories. 
Um, St. Basil the Great and St. Gregory of Nazianzus, or often referred to as St. Gregory the Theologian, and St. Gregory of Nyssa, who was actually the brother of St. Basil. And as we'll hear, St. Basil's family was, was an impressive family. Um, and St. Gregory the Theologian was, again, one of, if not St. Basil's um, best friend. St. Basil actually also had a sister that maybe you've heard of. Her name is St. Macrina. And St. Macrina was a, was a major influence on St. Basil's life, as we'll discuss. He also had another brother who was a bishop. His name was Bishop Peter. And another brother who was a monk. So of the nine children in the family, I think five of them in some churches are consecrated saints. I don't know about in our church if they're saints, but at least four in our church are saints. So before I kind of talk about, today I kind of want to spend most of the time talking about, you know, the formation of St. Basil as what, what, what came to form this saint. You know, what was the impact that people around him had in his life that caused him to become who he was. But before I do, I just want to touch a little bit about his impact on the church. Um, maybe for um, some of us, including me, who did not know a lot of what he did. Like I said before, St. Basil was... Um, influential in terms of theology, right? Him and the Cappadocian fathers were there. The work that they did um, is, is today still the way we define and describe the Trinity, for example, something that wasn't well um, described. And that dogma had to be defended in the fourth century. So St. Basil is part of that, um, that theological um, uh, strength that happened in that fourth century. He preached many sermons and he served the poor as we will hear. And actually, St. Basil was kind of instrumental in, in creating charities like we have them today. So we'll talk about that in a, in a few minutes. So I will preface this by a little bit that I'm going to kind of skim over his life a little bit because I want to talk about what made him who he was. But it really won't give him, it's impossible really to give him the credit he deserves. The man was 49 years old when he died and he was um, given the moniker the Great, right? So I'm 42, and I'm nowhere near that, right? So he was, he was described as the great, and he, is, uh, he was only 49 when he died away. So, died. so he, um, he lived a really incredible, incredible life in a short amount of time. So as we talked about from a theological standpoint, um, the St. Basil and the, and the Cappadocian fathers, they, uh, they were right before the time of Constantinople, um, there was Arian heresy continued to be propagated throughout um, and throughout the world essentially actually at that time you know we now we have a bishop of the Oriental Orthodox Church we have a bishop of the Eastern Church but at that time there was like in every single region in that in that area of the world and then there was an Arian bishop so there was like a mass amount of confusion you know there's people who followed the Arian heresy and there's people who followed the Orthodox faith that we follow today so it wasn't like now where everyone kind of has the same Orthodox faith. We have other issues, but we have that same idea of Christ is fully divine, Christ is fully human. We have the same idea that the Trinity is the three persons of the Trinity. Back then, all that stuff was not, was, was a, there was a fight over that, that dogma and what was, what was the truth. So Basil, along with the two Gregories, um, were instrumental in describing the Trinity as three persons in one, right? That, that we talk about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all being God, that was not something that was believed by all people in that time. So they, uh, the, the, the methods and the writings they used were used in the Council of Constantinople to defend the Orthodox faith. Um, in terms of the second thing, sorry. 
so he was a defender of Nicaea, and he was a staunch defender of the Holy Trinity. Actually, St. Basil is also very instrumental in monasticism, in, in setting up monasticism. In our church, of course, we often talk about St. Anthony and St. Pachomios as the people who established monasticism, and that is true. St. Anthony was the first monk, and St. Pachomios set up communal monks. But in the, in the, in the part where St. Basil lived, it was actually St. Basil who brought that type of monasticism, that communal mass monasticism, to the, the, that area of Cappadocia where he, uh, he lived. And he also created rules that are to this day used in the spiritual life of his monks. And in terms of liturgy, of course, I talked about it already, that St. Basil was instrumental in writing the liturgy uh, that we use now in the Orthodox Church. Something maybe that uh, that's, might be interesting is that St. Basil uh, was the one who established like the idea of a hospital, the first hospital. Right, right. We take hospitals for granted. There's many hospitals, but in the time uh, St. Basil lived, there was no hospitals. There was no like established institutional um, taking care of the poor, like an administratively, you know, managed institution. St. Basil uh, was the first one really to establish uh, a hospital, and along with the hospitals, he. Uh, so he lived in, he was the bishop over the area called Caesarea, right? And so inside that area, he created entirely kind of city within a city and inside that city there were many there were hospitals there were churches there were um, places for laborers to come and find work there was food kitchens for people to come and find food there was an area specifically for lepers that saint basil would actually go and serve with his own hands so it was it was actually one of one of the saints referred to it as like the eighth wonder of the world um so it's an interesting note that Christianity is where the hospitals were established. Uh, Christianity is where, and that was from St. Basil. St. Basil wrote this book called Social Justice, and so we'll see where his love for the poor came. Um, in his book, Social Justice, if you haven't read it, it's a really, it's a really nice book. He actually refers, he takes the, the gospel that Christ um, talked about with the storehouses, right? God, Christ rebuked the people who built up um, large storehouses. They tore down their old storehouses and they, they built up new storehouses so they can store their goods and they can enjoy their lives. And St. Basil famously said, he said, the st our storehouses are the stomachs of the poor. And this is something St. Basil lived. He lived that his life, like as we all read, he'll, he gave up everything and gave it to the poor and lived um, for Christ. And the amount of effort this man did in his short amount of time, you know, theological works, service to the poor, writing liturgies, setting up monastic communities, and all are living under a strict asceticism uh, was actually really incredible. So I wanted to spend most of the time talking about what caused St. Basil to be who he was. Um, and we're going to go basically just step quickly through his life. Uh, St. Basil um, had a lot of influences in his life, and we want to kind of want to look at them and apply to our, us to ourselves. Um, and he lived in a, in a very similar situation to what we do now in terms of like the secular society and, and, the, and the pressures we feel and, and other things that are kind of forced upon us, I think, from a, a Christian standpoint. So it's kind of nice to see the parallels and see what made this man um, a great saint. So we're going to step through his life. We're going to talk about his early life and the influence of his family, uh, his education, his life in a secular culture, his friendship um, with ba uh, between Basil and Gregory, and finally his um, path to monasticism. So as I mentioned, uh, he was born in 329 AD. He was born to a very rich family. So they were well off. 
and they had they had land in multiple provinces and the area he was born is called Cappadocia it's it's like the eastern part of what is now modern day Turkey and he spent most of his time in Turkey uh, except for some of his education so this area is like uh, this area of Cappadocia is is kind of like uh, a little bit it's not like the fertile land that some of you that some some parts of Turkey have it's actually really you know very sparse small villages all they have is really one nice stream and the, the land isn't very fertile it's very tough life it's like it's they had a lot of snow and the weather was bad and they were really isolated. He have he wrote in one of his letters that you know that he was giving a, a letter to someone and he wrote that they had been buried in snow for like two or three months. So it was it was like this very difficult environment. The area was also like laced with a lot of like um, disparity. There was a lot of large there was a lot of rich families and poor families and there was really nothing in between. And the, the rich families, the ones that had the lots of land, and then there was the poor families who basically worked for the rich people. And this area during the time of St. Basil is known of being like very like sinful living, very full of evil um, and wrongdoings. So we kind of see like Basil growing up in like this melting pot, right? He had a rich family, he had lots of land, by a lot of uh, you know, sinful living, uh, a little tough environment. Uh, and it, it's interesting to see that this kind of person came out of that, that relatively difficult situation um, that he grew up in. And I, and I also include being rich as part of that difficult situation, which we'll discuss now. Like, you know, he had a lot of comfort um, available to him and his family as well. So Christianity itself came to this area very early in, in his life, in the, in the life of the church. In St. Peter's first letter, letter, it talks about Cappadocia and Pontus is where St. Peter was writing to. So Christianity had been established in this area for quite some time, and it had seen some very um, saint-like people who lived in that area, including St. Gregory the Wonder Worker, who we talk about and he re referred to in the commemoration of the saints. So Basil is one of nine children. He was the eldest. Um, and then there was, among his siblings, I talked about it earlier, there was three bishops, one monk, and another nun. So of his, f of his nine siblings, over half of them were, uh, had given their life to Christ, and others had also given their life to Christ, but they were, all, they, were, they were married as well. His father had a wealth of estates, and he was a teacher of rhetoric. So back in the day in, in Greece, this is one of, one of the ancient professions, right? People would teach philosophy, and they would, they would discuss things, and they were rhetoricians, and that he was, his father was one of those people who would teach that. He would homeschool Basil and his older two siblings for the first 16 years of their life. He, he spent teaching them this idea of rhetoric and bringing them up in this, in this kind of classical education them for uh, the public life. But it's kind of interesting in the seeds of this, you know, in this life, like this is where they were first planted, at his time in his home with his family and particularly his parents. So in the eulogy that St. Gregory gave it at St. Basil's death, um, he, wrote, or he referred to his parents. So I want to kind of read quickly what St. Gregory wrote. He said, The union of parents was cemented as it was by a community of virtue, no less than by cohabitation was notable for many reasons, especially for generosity to the poor, for hospitality, for purity of soul as a result of self-discipline, for the dedication to God of a portion of their property, a matter not as yet as much cared for by most men. So St. Gregory here is, is referring, and the first sentence I find actually very striking, right? He's giving the image of like uh, marriage. Um, 
specifically he's talking about like the union that his parents had together was was not something that was just because they lived together. It was not a union of of simply um, you know physical location. It was not a union of you know I'm we're together because we're going to raise the kids, or it's not a union because you know this is this is convenient, or or it's not a union so we can you know live make a lot of money and retire together and be nothing wrong with any of those things, but their union was based on virtue, right? It was cemented by a community of virtue. <clears throat> and this comes up a couple times in Basil's life, that the people most influence, influencing Basil desire for, for godly things, desire for virtue. And his parents, um, and this I think is the, the, the key point for why all their siblings kind of became who they are by the grace of God, is because they, they were witnesses to their parents living this virtuous life, their parents desiring godly things, right? Um, and it's, it's one thing to maybe hear about it all the time, but it's another thing to witness people in perfect union around this one purpose. So I think it's a good thing to reflect on whether we're married, whether we're not married, whether we have friends, whether we have kids, whatever. The relationships in our lives, are they centered around, what are they centered around? Are they centered around, you know, things of the world? Or are they, are the, is the main purpose of them virtues, the, the desiring of godly things? And when we go to talk about St. Gregory and St. Basil, we'll see how the, the image that has established when he was very young persisted in his relationships with his friends. We see the outcome of such a virtuous relationship, of such a desire for for, for godly things. We see that they were generous to the poor, which would greatly impact Macrina and Basil and all their, their siblings. Um, the, the hospitality they provided, the, dis, the dedication of God to their land. This is something that, like we talked about earlier with the hospitals, giving parts of your property away was not something people did you know, back then. That was something that it was novel and something that his parents did, not because it was like a rule, but because their their virtue and their desire for God was the the outpouring became that I I want to give right it's not something they did out of necessity but something that came pouring out because of the virtuous life that they desired so this 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 union of their parents this this played a huge role in the life of Basil and all the kids would go on um, to take on the characteristics of their parents um, as we'll talk about with Macrina and Basil. So this seed planted was, uh, as St. As Gregory says here, St. Gregory says, when he talks about his parents, he's like, this is what befell him, Bas speaking of Basil, who had, a who had a home, a model of virtue and well-doing, the very sight of which made him excellent from the first. So he's saying here that whatever the circumstance, you know, whatever about the tough weather, the tough, you know, the, the evil that surrounded them, whatever amount of riches that Basil and his family had, what made him perfect, those things didn't impact him. What made him perfect was seeing the virtuous life of his parents and something we can work to emulate. <coughs> so after he turned 16, St. Basil went off into the world to, to continue his education. His father homeschooled him, and then he went out to uh, the different parts of the world to be trained under the, uh, the great philosophers of the time. Uh, he went first to uh, the city of Caesarea, where he would become bishop, where he spent some time, and then he went to Constantinople. And Constantinople, you know, if he, that's kind of like the head of where the Eastern Church is. At that time, that was like the, 
the really one of the pillars of philosophy and and that teaching. Um, so he learned under actually one of the greatest ones. I can't pronounce his name, so I won't try. But the, probably the greatest philosopher at the time was his teacher. Um, and then he would finally go to Athens where he completed his study. He went to Athens for four or five years, and that's where he would meet his friend Gregory. Athens, of course, was a place that was another place that was kind of full of kind of a godliness, a godlessness, right? It was a place of philosophy, of culture. Um, but like what happened in Alexandria when the church came up in Alexandria, that we don't shy away from, from other beliefs, but we establish the church within those kind of beliefs. We, we, we make use of them, um, and that's kind of what happened in terms of like Egypt and, and, and the Greek area. So, so uh, in terms of his education, Basil was second to none in terms of his education. St. Gregory said, when he's talking about Basil, he said, Who possessed such a degree of prudence of old age, even before his hair was gray, since it is by this that Solomon defines the, the old age? Who was so respect, respectful to both old and young, not only of our contemporaries, but even of those who long preceded him, who, owing to his own character, was less in need of education? Of astronomy, geometry, and numerical proportion, he had such a grasp that he could not be baffled by those who are clever in such sciences. Excessive application to them he despised as useless to those who desire his godliness. So that it is possible to admire that he chose more than what he neglected or what he neglected more than what he chose. So, so Gregory refers to the wisdom that Basil had acquired. Right? Truly, Basil was... Um, kind of like well, we, I'll make jokes about the top of his class. This is what Basil was. Um, but the, the, the interesting part of Basil is because of his upbringing, no matter how much education and wisdom he took on, he always had a little bit of a distaste for it. And not so much that it was wrong, the education. It was a distaste for like over-application of it, of, of, of making too much of an emphasis on it. But Basil, in his life, he would use all the skills that he built up in his education for the betterment of the church, the betterment of the protection of the church, the protection of the faith. So it was not as though his education was to waste, but he would use it for his skills later on when he was called to service in the church. So in terms of living in a secular culture, um, this saying here by St. Gregory kind of brings to mind our thoughts with our own culture. So this screen is too small. So... Hurtful as Athens was to others in spiritual things, and this is of no slight consequence to the pious, for the city is richer in those evil riches, idols, than the rest of Greece. And it is hard to avoid being carried along with their devotees and adherents, yet we, our minds being closed up and fortified against this, suffered no injury. On the contrary, strange as it may seem, we were thus the more confirmed in the faith from our perception of their trickery and unreality, which led us to despise these divinities in their very home of their worship. And if there is or is believed to be a river flowing with fresh water through the sea or an animal which can dance in fire, the consumer of all things, such were we among all our comrades. So, so Basil and, and Gregory, they, they lived in this, this world that was like, you know, essentially godless, godless, right? And they were surrounded by people who desired wisdom, desired knowledge, desired to be the best speakers, right? And that was kind of, what was the priority of those around them? And, and, and Gregory says that many would fall. Like he says in the first sentence, you know, hurtful as Athens was to others in spiritual things, right? Athens, 
and this is our culture, right? We are surrounded by, Abuna talked about the consumerism and all this stuff now, right? It's hurtful to our spiritual life if we're not careful, right? And that's, and that's you know, it's, it's a parallel. Every culture has those issues. But our culture, I think even more so, we are, we are literally constantly surrounded by things that are hurtful to our spiritual life. Whether it's money, whether it's power, or most, most of all these days, the, we have the idol of self, right? Of comfort, of being respected. So it's very easy to be swept away in all this stuff. I think part of it is Basil and Gregory's friendship, what we'll talk about in a second, is what was helped them you know, not fall. Because being alone is very difficult. Being someone who has, has one belief amongst a sea of people who have something else is very difficult. Right? So that was one thing that confirmed them in their faith and kept them, um, kept them strong in their faith in this life of uh, this kind of secular culture. But the second thing is like, St. Basil says they didn't engage, right? They said they shut the, he, we shut our minds. We closed up our minds and fortified against this and suffered no injury. So it's almost like he's given this image that we, we didn't give it a, a second thought, right? We made sure we stayed away from it. And that's something I think is, is kind of important. Sometimes we, I, I think we compromise a little bit. We, we say, oh, this is okay for whatever reason. Or, oh, maybe I'll just do this with this person one time or whatever. And, and it, you open up the window, right? For them, there was not an option. For them, they literally said he closed up our minds. Didn't even give it um, a time to settle in. Because when we talk about sin and we talk about um, the fruits of sin, it all starts with a, just something small planted within us, right? That we one day decide we're going to act on. Um, and I love the last sentence. I think the last sentence is like incredible that he talks about that they were like a river flowing with fresh water through the sea, you know, the, through the sea of salt water, or an animal which can dance in fire, the consumer of all things, right? It, these things that are impossible to happen, right? The things that are not, not plausible, yet that's what Basil and Gregory were to their comrades. They were like the fresh water amongst the sea of salt water. Um, so... Uh, we can use that kind of to reflect a little bit on this friendship because obviously this friendship was critical to uh, maintaining their faith in this life in a secular culture. So I'm going to spend a few minutes talking about that. So St. Basil and Gregory, they, they met, I think they met in Athens. Um, and, the w- and the way that started their relationship is that when St. Basil first came to Athens, um, he was kind of younger, and, and he was very well known, I think, at the time of being a good student, right? So uh, I think there was an effort to do like a hazing to him, right? And, and the person who defended him, the person who protected him against the attacks of the people and the attacks of the other students was St. Gregory, right? St. Gregory talks about the other students were, were jealous and envious, and St. Gregory is the one who protected St. Basil, and that's kind of what established um, their relationship. And St. Gregory, of course... This isn't about him, but St. Gregory, you know, this is a, a sign of a great friend, someone who, at the, at the expense of themselves, is going to protect um, the other person. It would be much, much easier for St. Gregory to join in. So when, when St. Gregory wrote about the relationship they had, um, he said something like, uh, almost, on the, on the, like, almost like a marriage that they had. He says, all things we held in common as one soul united our two bodies. All things we held in common as one soul united our two separate bodies. What particularly brought us together was this, God and a desire for higher things. 
This is like this instance I was talking about when we talked about a union that's based on, on virtue. Like we talked about his parents, and now we're seeing it in the way St. Gregory describes um, his, his union with, with St. Basil. Um, and this is, this I think right here, um, is, is the definition of a Christian friendship. Um, and if you read some of the Desert Fathers, they actually referred to this. Um, one of the Desert Fathers, Abba Joseph, he says, love is not based on feelings or emotional worth, warmth. Love is the true and unwa unwavering affection that forms out of the perfection and virtue that is mirrored between the friends. So when we talk about what is a friendship and what is a Christian friendship, what is a Christian marriage, what is a Christian anything with our kids, relationship with our kids, what is it? It's, it's one that's based in desiring godly things, right? That's what's going to get us through the difficulties of life. That's what's going to get difficulty through our relationships. That's what's going to get difficulties with our kids, right? The desire for, for greater things, for the godly things. Um, and I, at least in my life, I feel, don't get me wrong, but it's like the, when Basil and Gregory talk, the, it's like another level of friendship. So one time I had a friend, he's not here, I'll say it, is we were just he looked at me and he said, do you want to pray? And I was like, I was totally, you know, blown away. Because uh, no one's ever done that. Like, just two guys hanging out. And he said, you want to you do the Igbeya together? And I was like, yeah, that's, that's sure. That sounds great. And, it's, and I think back and it's kind of crazy that that was my reaction, right? My reaction was, this is like an exception, not the rule, you know? And, and, and again, I have amazing friends and I have friends who are godly. But this is like another level of friendship that, that someone would want to, you know, to do the Igbeya together. Um, and I think about Basil and Gregory, and you hear about their stories. They were monks together for a long time. And Gregory would talk about their relationship, how they would spend nights in, in prayer and reading and doing this. And this was their sole focus in life. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily what we have to be, right? Um, but having that, ex that other level of godliness in our relationship as, as, as with spouses, with friends, with, with our kids, you know, that, that could be a, a game changer in our lives. Um, St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. I think that's kind of obvious, right? If you're hanging with someone who maybe is living a sinful life, they may draw us away, you know, into a sinful life. So, but then the other question is, uh, what is something else St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians? He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. So there, we have many good friends, right? Maybe many friends who are not, you know, maybe not part of the faith or whatnot. And we're not, I'm not saying let's get rid of all our friends. But it's great to have good friends. It's lawful to have good friends. But what about those friends that are going to edify me? What about those friends that are going to bring me to the next level in my spiritual life? What about those friends who are going to be ask you to pray when you're just sitting with them, you know, talking about whatever stuff, right? Do we have those, those friends that are going to edify us, those friends who are going to lead us to another level in our spiritual life? I think that's so critical to our, our spiritual life. And as spouses or whoever, are, they, are we encouraging our spouse to bring us to that another level? Or are we just kind of happy um, where we are? And I think for Basil and Gregory, they were constantly encouraging each other. It was, I, you know, it, it was talked about when they, when they separated, when Basil left Athens, he went to be a monk. He would often write to Gregory, encouraging him to join him. Like, Gregory was kind of attached to his parents, and he wanted to help his parents. And, and Basil would write to him and say, come join me in the, come, come join me, be with me. Let us, let us live for God together, 
right? And they would do this back and forth. Gregory would also write to Basil. So something, again, to think about maybe in our, in our friendships. So I want to take a, a couple minutes to talk about the path, his path to monasticism. So after Basil, uh, he spent his time in Athens, he would split with Gregory and he would finish his education and he would go back to his home in, Cappado in, 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 in Cappadocia. Um, and upon his return home, his like, at this point, his family, you know, when he left, I think seven or eight years ago, whatever. When he, and when he got home, his family house was like turned into a convent. Like it was turned into like a monastery, essentially. Where St. Macrina, who was engaged to someone, and that person um, sadly died during their engagement, she decided to sacrifice her life and give it to Christ. So she became like a widow virgin and she had a house of virgins. And actually after um, Basil's father died, his mother also joined Macrina and they lived a consecrated life for Christ. His other brother, his younger brother, um, Peter, had uh, also consecrated his life to, to Christ and he had started a men's uh, men's group or a, a men's a male community um, for those who are consecrating their lives as well to Christ. And then his other brother uh, had gone to be a monk in like the area of Pontus, which is like a area close by. Um, he had gone to live in the wilderness for Christ. So he kind of came home to like, you know, he lived a, he had a holy family, but he came home and it was like another level of holiness, right? And Macrina was kind of like the, the lead for, for all that, right? She was the one who, who, was, who was the, when St. Gregory of Nisa talks about her, that she was the one that, that led that transformation to another level in their spiritual life. So Macrina herself, not going to spend too much time on her, um, she, she gave up all her life. She gave her money to someone to, to manage it, to distribute it to the poor people. Uh, she lived a life of chosen poverty. And again, many virgins came and joined her. She also practiced the manual work. And, and during that time when you were rich and when you were a certain class of, of wealth, I guess, um, you didn't do manual work, you know. But she uh, chose to do manual work. And again, like their parents before them, it was all about service to the poor. It wasn't enough to just live an ascetic life. Part of their asceticism was a constant um, service to the poor people. So when we read about the influence of, of Macrina on Basil. So now Basil has returned from Athens. And, and St. Gregory of Nyssa wrote, wrote about his brother Basil and Macrina. And he wrote this. He said... The great Basil returned after his long period of education, already a practiced rhetorician. He was puffed up beyond measure with the pride of oratory and looked down on the local dignitaries, excelling in his own estimation all the men of leading and position. Nevertheless, Macrina took him in hand, and with such speed did she draw him also toward the mark of philosophy that he forsook the glories of this world and despised fame gained by speaking and deserted for this busy life where one toils with one hands, one's hand. His renunciation of property was complete, lest anything should impede the life of virtue. So it's interesting that we see St. Basil return, and now he's puffed up, right? So even the great saints suffer from pride, right? He came back, a man who's full of wisdom from the great city of you know, Constantinople, from the great city of Athens. He comes back to this small village, and now he's like the greatest, you know, he's the most wise, right? So he, he naturally has some puffing up, and he feels like he's better, right? And, and St. Macrina 
is influential in, in taking that, you know, taking him and letting him and seeing him realize and make him realize the better life that there is ahead. Um, when Basil talks afterwards, he says of that time, he says, much time I had spent in vanity and wasted nearly all my youth in vain labor, which I underwent in acquiring wisdom made foolish by God. Then once upon a time, like a man roused from deep sleep, I turned my eyes to the marvelous light of the truth of the gospel, and I perceived the uselessness of the wisdom of the princes of this world that came to naught. Then I read the gospel, and I saw there that a great means of reaching perfection was the selling of one's goods, the sharing them with the poor, the giving up of all care for this life, and the refusal to allow the soul to be turned by any sympathy to things on the earth. So Basil was so moved by the, the example of his family. He was so moved by the example of Macrina and all the things that had formed him throughout his life. You can imagine the, the, the example of his parents, the example of St. Gregory, the example of Macrina, right? And seeing, he's taking all this and seeing the, what he calls, he say, I don't know the word he uses, but almost the futility of all this right? And it's not so much that all this stuff is bad. It's not bad that his education is money. All that stuff's not bad. But it was when it's that desire for all that stuff, right? That that stuff is the priority in his life. And he sees it, the futility, and he's willing to give it all up, right? Basil had the option to do whatever he wanted. He had money, he had education, and he could have used that for his own benefit. But instead, through the example of all those people he lived with, and through the grace of God, um, he rejected all those things and he decided to sell all and live um, the ascetic life serving the church and the people. I think also when it comes to these things like for St. Basil, like I said, it was an accumulation of all his experiences, an accumulation of the, the people around him, right? It wasn't just one, one moment. <coughs> but it was, and again, it wasn't the bad things. It's like he tasted something that was better. The, pe- the thing that transforms people is not the distaste for money or the distaste for, you know, success. It's like when you taste something that is unexplainable. When you taste the godly life, then everything else kind of just loses its taste, right? And that's what happened to St. Basil. <coughs> so finally, the last thing we'll talk about is the influence of the monks on his life. Um, at this point, he decided he's going to give his life to Christ after his time at home and after uh, his time with his, his siblings in Macrina, that he decides that he's going to you know, start his monasticism. And before he does, he decides he's going to travel through, throughout the world where there was established monasteries. He went to Egypt, he went to Syria, he went to Palestine. And, um, and when he encountered these, these monks... Um, I think that's kind of what solidified everything for him and, and, and made him the type of person he was. He said, I admired their, per- their persistence in living and their endurance in toil. I was amazed by their persistence in prayer and at the triumph over sleep. Ever keeping the souls high and free, they never yielded to the body. Always as though living in a flesh that is not theirs. They showed in every deed what it is to sojourn for a while in this life and what to have, one, and what to have one's citizenship and home in heaven. So again, we see <coughs> Basil, and he doesn't actually say anything about them teaching him anything or preaching or giving him sayings. All he d- talks about here is what he saw, right? 
he was influenced simply by what he saw with his own eyes by the way these people were living. And I think Abuna talked about it last week that he went to the monastery and he was just inspired by looking at the monks, right? Looking at how people had given their lives up to Christ. Um, so with his eyes he saw. And again, it brought his mind to a different level. It raised his mind up to spiritual things. And we talked about desiring godly things, seeing the monks, seeing their life, seeing their persistence, seeing their endurance and toil. All that stuff brought his mind um, up to another level, raised his mind up to Christ. So it's kind of another beautiful lesson for us when it talks about what influences us, is we talked about having godly friends. And it's also, you know, I know there's, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's lots of holy people here. We just don't know them, right? Or maybe it's hidden, right? But surrounding ourselves with, with holiness, right? Whether it's, it's clergy that we know, whether it's going to the monastery, whether it's whatever, to raise our minds up periodically, right? To give ourselves encouragement. And that's actually why we read, you know, the Synexarium. That's why we write, read the lives of the saints, right? To inspire us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, right? To know that people who are just human were able to accomplish things as they did through the grace of God. So having that, that constant reminder, having the con- reading the lives of the saints is very important uh, in, 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 in our spiritual lives. In the end, Basil would subject himself to such like rigorous asceticism. I remember he lived a life that was fairly comfortable, right? But when he chose to become a monk, he lived a life of his, the structure in the monastery I read about it was really kind of difficult. Like the monks would only be allowed to sleep till, till midnight and then they would stand up to pray. They would have one bread, that was all they ate all day. So it was a very austere type of asceticism. And Basil himself was so strict on, him, on himself that it said that um, he actually caused sickness to come upon himself, not on purpose, but because he was so strict with himself that he spent much of his life in sickness um, because of the how, how strict he was for himself. Um, so we see here anyways in the life of Basil that the formation of sainthood, we're all called to be saints. We're all called to live a, a godly life. And the formation of, of it is coming through the people we surround ourselves, our family, you know, um, using our education, using our skills for the service of the church, right? And always looking out for virtue, always having friendships grounded in virtue and grounded in things that lead our minds up um, to Christ. Is there any questions on St. Basil or on, the, on his life? Okay, glory be to God forever, amen. Pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, for giving this chance to be together here in church. We thank you, O Lord, for allowing us to partake of your body and blood today. We thank you, O Lord, for this time of fellowship and learning about your great saints. We thank you, O Lord, for the life of St. Basil, an example to us of someone who was influenced so heavily through his um, relationship with his family and friends. We ask you, Lord, that we may be that influence on our families, on our spouses, on our kids, on our friends. And we ask you that you may surround us, O Lord, with the the Holy One, surround us with godly friends, O God, that we may always raise our minds up to Christ, that we may desire things that that are full of taste and not the things, O God, of this world as our focus. We ask you, Lord, to bless those who are not with us today. We ask you, Lord, to bless your church, protect it. We ask you, Lord, to bless all of us and our families. Have mercy on us, O God. Forgive us our many sins and make us worthy to pray to St. Mary, St. Paul, Archangel Michael, St. Mark, and all your saints. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine kingdom, the power, and the glory forever.